Welcome to Meta Manchester, a podcast about the personal and business philosophy of Mancunians around the world. My name is Tan Lay. In this episode, my guest is Liam Croker, lead singer of Manchester band Winachi. Among other things, we talk about Liam's relationship with Manchester and the North in general. We talk about living and working in Hollywood. We talk about Axel Rose and Warren Beatty. And we might have discovered the secret ingredient to a successful creative venture. All right, let's do it. Here's Liam. All right, let me start by asking you, when you meet someone new mm. and they ask, what do you do? How do you respond? Um, I tell them I'm a musician. I say I'm a, I'm yeah. a working musician, a, um, a professional musician. That's what I say. That's good. And that, then that's been quite tricky over the last 18 months. I've almost felt like I'm lying a little bit at times. But no, yeah, I've stuck to I've stuck to my guns. And if people ask me what I do, and you know, I'm a, I'm a musician. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I, I understand exactly what you mean when you feel like, am I qualified to say it now? Like, you know, when do you when do you feel like okay, now <laughs> I can say it? You and and then, I mean, there's no line that you cross. I don't think it's even down to, it, it doesn't even necessarily come down to finance and money. I think once you've um, paid your dues and you have committed your whole life to doing that profession um, and your dream and what you want to do with the rest of your life, once you've made that decision, then yeah, you're qualified to say, I am a musician, that's what I do. So yeah, and then obviously you think- if, you make, if you're making money by doing it as well then yeah, yeah yeah it just it just adds a little bit a little bit more credit to that so to speak and do you think it also has to do with not doing anything else like this is the main thing like you 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 finally quit everything else and you focus all your time and energy on this that's a good question um no i think if you need to do other stuff to make ends meet to keep Which the water artists do yeah most creatives do i mean i i won't name names exactly but i know some very very well-known musicians you know pretty famous people who have to do other jobs so to speak to mm. um, pay the bills and mm. yeah i I, and I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of at all. You know, I, th- I no, just, I agreed. just, I think, totally I think agreed. if you've got a family and you know, you, you've got to do what you've got to do to put food on that table, and you can't always do that through a creative um, avenue. But if, like I said, if you're emotionally committed to doing your profession, i.e., being a film director, a musician, a painter, an actor, then that's what, yeah, that's. That's what you are, but it's also who you are. So, yeah, you're fully qualified. Once you give everything away to that profession, then, yeah, you are qualified to say that's what you are. Yeah, definitely. Just talking specifically about music. Yeah. In the music industry, mm. right, we've seen it in our own lifetime. We've seen it completely change. Absolutely. The way you make money in music is not the way you make money in music when, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah. Especially today, like young musicians coming up, 
<clears throat> yeah. You have to really love doing this because it's not like back in the day when, you know, there was clear ways to make money. Like now there's no, you know, would you, what do you think about the music industry right now? Is there a way to make money for young artists? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another good question. Um, yeah, there is, there's always a way to make money. It's not as, um, it's not as simple as it, like you just said, you know, when did we first meet each other? Maybe, 10 years ago, it was two, 12 it was years more, ago, it was 2007. 2007 okay. was when we did our wow. shoots. So about sort of 15 years ago. I mean, things have changed a lot. Um, the main way for bands these days to make money is by being on the road, is by touring. Yep. Record sales still exist. You, just, you can still make money from selling records, but there's so many different mediums now of how to sell you know how to sell records whether it's through itunes through streaming services i mean streaming services for instance you know you don't make any money from streaming it it's like a catch-22 you have to have your music on streaming services like spotify right so the industry have kind of got you around the balls with this you have to have your music on spotify and you have to be seen to have i don't know two million hit two million streams on one song but from that two million streams you might get 33p you know wow. um i say i mean I'm, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating that's the truth but you have to be seen to have that to be a credible artist and mm. it, it, the only people who are getting rich from it are the rich people not us not the musicians i mean a really interesting platform to, um, which is getting bigger and bigger and bigger at the moment is something called Bandcamp. I don't know if you're aware of that, but I have, um, yeah, I've, yeah, I've it's a re it's a really, really, really good platform for for selling music, for selling your merchandise. It's it's run by artists for artists, and you know, I, I can't, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's something like every record sold, every single sold, for instance, you keep eighty five percent of the profit of that one track. So say you just sold a song for a pound, you keep 85% of that pound, um, whether you're selling your merchandise and you know it, and you get to decide what price you want to sell it at and that, that kind of thing. And us moving forward as a band, when actually we're definitely looking forward into moving into Bandcamp for selling our, both our mm -hmm. records and our merchandise. Yeah, and, that, and that's through our management. They've sort of, you know they've advised that, and that's something that we're going to look at doing with our next releases. But I still back to your question. I think the main way of making money these days for younger bands, or older bands, professional groups is by touring. You've got to, yep. you've got to be on the road making. That's how you make your money. Yeah, totally. And you, you know, you because you're in the middle of it all. You can probably tell me because from what I see less young people now mm. want to get into music. I don't know if that's the case, but from an outsider's point of view, that's what I see. Whereas when I was in college, when I was 16, 15, 17, that's all, we were all in bands and we were all wanting to play. But now, like my son is that age and he doesn't have any musician friends, for example. So what do you see? Like, what that, do you, do you yeah. see young people wanting to still make music? Yeah, you know, yeah, I do see it. Not to the extent of when I was growing. I mean, I'm in my thirties now, so you know, I'm I'm not an old man. I'm not a middle aged man, but in I'm and I suppose 
viewed as a slightly elder person in music, um, in the entertainment business. I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, um, yeah, but it's just everything's become so accessible, Tam, these days, you know, because of the internet and things like that. Mm. So the, the, the sort of romance and the mystique behind being a musician that was around when we were growing up isn't there mm. anymore. You know, if you exactly. want, if you wanted to sit to hear a band, you had to go and buy the record or you had to. Exactly. You, oh, you had to go and see them. Yeah. Ha- if you Exactly. If you wanted to watch a band, you had to go and see them. Now you just go on the internet. So yeah. And I think in some ways that's a blessing. That's great. You know, accessibility is, is a fantastic thing. But I think in some ways it's, it has killed the the mythology and romance of being a rock star. And I think that's why less and less kids are coming through in that sense. There are musicians coming through. They've just got a different outlook on it than, say, me and you would mm-hmm. have had at that age. You know, it's it's all... Ve- I found that the, that the music now um, is second-hand to the actual... That's promotion it's also the social media side of it and everything now i'd say is 90 percent of being a musician which is wrong you know that shouldn't be how it is yeah but there's there's there's, a, there's an un, there's an underground scene all the time there's, there's young Isn't bands it? all i mean in because manchester you know you know what manchester was known for with it with the whole 90s indie scene, like how is it now? How I mean, would you describe I will tell I will scene? tell you now how Manchester is, and I, I'll probably get shot for saying this, but I don't tell care. Me. Now, Manchester, I love Manchester, right? Man, yeah, you know, you know, I'm the most northwest person, you know, I was I was yep. born in Liverpool. Um, I, I grew up in Liverpool as a child, a young child. All my family are from Liverpool. And then my mum and dad moved out of Liverpool into Warrington, which is in between Manchester and Liverpool. And then as I got to a teenager, my musical education, you know, from listening to the Beatles and stuff from my parents growing up, my my musical education started in Manchester. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And Manchester's obviously got this huge musical history. It influenced me, you know, the Stone Roses, the Happy Mondays, Oasis, New Order... Um, the Fall, the Smiths, you know, the list is endless. But I think what's happened with Manchester, it's become so stuck in its own history. It's become a little bit stale. And hmm. and, and and I'm not the only person to say this. I mean, I know a, a number of people who would agree with what I'm saying from Manchester, who would agree with what I'm saying. They, they've become stuck in their own history a little bit. There's almost a slight musical snobbery around Manchester, I think, a little bit. Interesting. And it's almost become, you know, a little bit cliched. Oh, I'm, all right, mate. Yeah, and I'm in a band from <laughs> Manchester. And it's like... But does that still exist? That's what I'm asking. So is that still there? It, that's still there. But it's where that used to be cool, I don't think it's that cool anymore. I think Manchester needs... A bit like Liverpool. You know, Liverpool with the Beatles, for instance. Liverpool's struggled to... You know, as, as amazing as the Beatles were and influential and all the rest of it, Liverpool's never quite recovered from the shadow of the Beatles. The, you know, the, the sort of 
They're under the shadow of the Beatles. They've had great bands like Echo and the Bunny Men, um, the Lars, etc. You know, the, the cast that have come out of Liverpool, but they're, they're always under the shadow of the Beatles. And and they always will be. And they always right? will be. If you're a band from Liverpool, who are they going to compare you to? Well, exactly, yeah. And I think that's the same in Manchester with bands like, you know the 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 mad Chester scene, especially especially yep. like you know yep. the the Mondays and the Roses, and then slightly later on you had Oasis. Um, I don't think Manchester's ever quite moved on from that. There's there's always that there. Do you know what I mean? It's and I would love to see another young band. I love I'd love to see a band of twenty twenty one year old lads come through who were fucking angry and. You know, immense it, you know, and really kick the ass out of it because right now, because we're living in some very mm-hmm. dark, shitty times, and you know, and Manchester's the place that maybe could do that. But at the moment, I've not seen that coming through, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so yes, there the, the, the are bands, there are bands, there are the new, there's new bands coming up through all the time. Are any of them catching my attention to go, wow, they're absolutely knockout? unbelievable no none of them are catching my attention in that way no i'm not finding any of them exciting so to speak or Hmm. more importantly i'm not finding any of them original it's all the kind of rehash of what's been done before okay well apart apart from when actually obviously because we're just fucking out there on our own i was just gonna say that leads us nicely onto wenatchee so when i met you you were called china white Mm -hmm. and when i first heard when I first heard the music, I, I'm not just saying this, I really thought you guys, you didn't sound like the others. Like you had that originality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. you had like a mad fusion of different styles and you didn't, you didn't follow the stereotype of being a Manchester band or a Northwest band. So was that, tell me about your influences. So you said Beatles, like, you know, tell me about growing up, like what did you listen to and where did you get all these influences? I grew up listening to sort of bands like early, early Guns N' Roses, um, Pearl yeah. Jam, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Faith No More. Um, early now, already Red- coming uh, from England, from- right? Not many people, not many British bands named those guys as influences. Well, I was nine years old and I was listening to these guys. So I was listening to like the early Red Hot Chili Flippers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic was, I suppose Love my, that my album. oh, it's an unbelievable album. It, I, that was my introduction to funk music, I suppose. Yep. Uh, and then, and then, as a teenager, see, as a teenager, all my friends were into Oasis. All, I, all my friends got into Oasis and stuff like that. But I got into like Massive Attack and Tricky and the Beastie Boys oh, and nice. Cypress okay. Hill and. And then, you know, a little bit later, later on, I discovered, I got into the Stone Roses in the Happy Mondays before I got into Oasis. Um, Mm. I I was too young for the Stone Roses in the Happy Mondays the first time round. I was only about seven or eight years old. But yeah, I got into them. And that's when it really hit me. When, When I heard the Roses in the Mondays in my late teens, I was like, oh, now this makes sense because... They sound like me. They talk in the same accent as me. And they dress and act like me. I can I can do that. I, I believe that I could probably do that. But we did it. We, we never tried to sound like anybody. We never thought, 
we're going to go out and try to sound like the Stone Roses or the Happy Mondays. We just took elements, not necessarily always music elements as well. It could be their, you know, their, their attitude in mm. the way, yeah, and stuff. And it's quite comical now. You know, if I look back at videos of us when we started off, we were obviously subconsciously mimicking our heroes <laughs> to a certain degree. Yeah, on, but that's natural. Yeah. That's natural. You act a bit like Sean Ryder or Ian Brown or Liam Gallagher or whatever. Um, over time, you hone that and you make it your own version of that, you know, which, which we've done. But yeah, I just think one thing that me and Anthony decided on very, very early on when we started, Anthony, by the way, is the guy, the, 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 co- the co-founder of China White and Wenatchee. So, you know, Anthony. Yeah. So, yes, when, of when I me, do. Yeah, you know, Anthony. Shout out to Anthony. Shout out to Anthony Edgerton. I love you, man. And we made a conscious decision very, very early on not to get pigeonholed. It was like, mm. right, man, you can only be as good as your record collection. And we've got really good record collections. <laughs> so, yep. you know, we, and we take our favorite bits of, you know, we, we, we'd be mixing Massive Attack with the Beatles, um, with NWA, with Grandmaster Flash and the Fury, you know, with all these different things we were listening to. I'd meet up, I'd meet up with Anthony, you know, after work. I was working as a tree surgeon at the time. I was twenty years old. I was cutting down trees, and I'd meet up with Anthony after work, and we'd sit in his shed with a pair of guitars, and he'd be going, <laughs> "Whoa, have you have you listened to this Rolling Stones track?" And he introduced me to the Rolling Stones, so I'd be listening to the Stones, and then I'd be showing him Massive Attack songs, and then we'd sit there and we'd do a sort of a fusion version of Massive Attack and the Stones. We'd start we'd start mm. writing those early tracks, and, and we never. Sorry, mate. Well, I was gonna say I love that you mentioned like Guns and Roses and Nirvana. Even I feel like as a young band, if you're from any particular town, it's almost like people expect you to sound like the other bands from that same town, and you're expected to say, "Oh, my influences are Oasis." Whereas mm. if you said, "Oh, uh, my influence is Guns and Roses," and you're a Manchester band, it's like, "Oh." That's unusual, and people don't expect to hear that. So that's why I'm surprised. And yeah, I mean, so cool I, 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 that, like, I, I wouldn't be in a band if it wasn't for Guns N' Roses. I can remember very clearly being eight years old watching Guns N' Roses live in Paris on telly. Oh wasn't yes, yeah, yes. I, 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 that, that was like the first show that they broadcast on Sky One or something. Yeah, it was the first ever pay per view on Sky. Yes, and I watched I, the exact same one. And my friend, my friend Danny Kerwin, a, a boy I went to school with, I didn't have Sky, my parents didn't have it, but Danny had it and he, re- he recorded yeah, yeah, it for yeah, me yeah. On, on tape. Oh my God. And I, watched, I remember that. I watched that tape. 92. And I used, 92, man, on the Usual Illusion tour. And I used to run around my mum's front room in a pair of cycling shorts and a bandana like I was Axl Rose, listening. Amazing. And, I and love you know that what? you said that. That's so cool. And I, and I can remember, so I'm looking at it, I literally made the decision on that point, while watching it, an eight-year-old boy, whatever Amazing. they're doing, I want to do that. <laughs> I want some of that. Because that looks really fun to me. A ginger man yeah. running around stage in I cycling shorts with a, with, a, <laughs> with, a, with a black guy with an afro and a, and a top hat playing the guitar. It looked the most exciting yeah. thing in the world. Welcome to the jungle when that come on. That was like... 
Oh my God, I'm, I'm, I live in Warrington, but I feel like I'm in the dirty streets of Hollywood. It, you know, it took me there <laughs> and that that impact stuck with me for the rest of my life. Their attitude to, to lads sort of my age and your age, they were our Rolling Stones, man. They were our, Le- they, they were our oh, Led yeah. Zeppelin. Um, yeah, and, they and made that was the first gig I ever saw. And mm. first Guns N' Roses gig I ever saw. And do you remember what I remember from that gig? I'm sure you'll know it if, if you've seen it a bunch of times like I have. The yeah. thing that stuck out was when he just had a go at Warren Beatty, and I was just like, well, "Who yeah. the fuck is this guy?" Warren, wow, Warren Beatty, I'd never Warren seen. Beatty. Yeah, Warren Beatty. Yeah. I'd never seen a rock star do that on stage. Like just, <laughs> just and go off at Warren, this dude. If you think Madonna kicked your ass, fuck you, yeah, all this shit, man. Yeah. If you think Warren Madonna Be- kicked your ass, I'm, I'm putting my money on a net. You fucking asshole. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then it just yeah. goes right into the song. I'd never and seen was, it before. He goes into double talking jive, doesn't he? Goes into yep, double exactly, talking jive, exactly. motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, brilliant. God bless Guns N' Roses, man. What do you think about these bands that are still playing today from that era? Because um, for me, as huge a Guns N' Roses fan as I was, yeah. I can't watch him now. I can't watch Axel with his plastic surgery. And I think have you seen quite, it I've seen, I've seen it. I've seen videos. Um, I think Duff McKagan is an absolute hero of a man. I think, you know, from where he was, you know, drug-wise and all the problems that he had with his, you know, alcohol and substance abuse. I think to see him now, he's an inspiration, you know, to see him so fit and healthy and he's such a a family man and grounded man and slash, you know. But to see Axel, he was my childhood hero. Now, you know. Same. And his voice is gone. He's had all the plastic surgery and stuff. But no matter how kind of cringy he is now and and he's bad he is now, I'll always love the guy, you know. He's, would you still pay to watch him now, though? Would I pay to go and watch Guns N' Roses? Um, In probably, 2022. You know what? Probably, yeah. I'd would probably, you? Oh, I wouldn't. I'd, I ju- I'd just go for the... for the. It'd just be the fun, man. I, I, I'd be very aware that i wasn't going to watch guns and roses of 1988 it would just be yeah. for a, a laugh and a joke you know it'd be fun the atmosphere would be great you know so and i'm sure the show would be a good it'd be a great show that they put on you know what i mean you know we just get i'd just get really drunk and sing along to all the songs it'd be good <laughs> i know you're being diplomatic there but, yeah um so can we talk a little bit about wenatchee's first trip to the usa when what year was that my very first trip um to the usa was in 2012 and it was me just me and anthony who went out there for two weeks and we we spent two weeks living on wonderland the famous wonderland avenue where the wonderland murders happened and we were wow. living on Laurel Laurel Canyon, um, up in the hills, living with the, the producer Danny Saber, who produced like the Rolling Stones and Black Grape and pe- awesome. people like that. And we walked, yeah, we stayed in this huge four-story house. And his attic was where the studio was. That's where the Charlatans recorded and Joe Strummer and nice. Black Grape. Like that. And when you got in there to the studio up, upstairs, everything was black and he used to call it the bat cave and when you walked in there was a cru- massive crucifix on the wall and it had this huge mr t from the a-team hung off it 
And I just thought, wow, welcome to Hollywood, man. This is going to be an experience. And um, yeah, we we spent two weeks living at Danny's in the in the hills of Hollywood with his. So you didn't with his partner. You didn't play any shows then? No, we that we trip. spent two weeks record, uh, recording in, at Danny's okay. studio and 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 getting to know Hollywood and just the vibe of it. You know, we made some great records. Yeah, some and and two two of those records have been released since then. Uh, one of them featured Kermit from the band Black Grape as well. Um, nice. Yeah, it was just a great, great experience. You know, it's, there was gold discs yeah. on the wall for Ozzy Osbourne and B- Black Sabbath, Michael Hutchins, and yeah, just a great, un- unbelievable experience. You know, and yeah. um, that's how it's that's how it started. That was the first time we went to Los Angeles. Yeah, I've always wondered this because I hear a lot of artists say this, which is you know they recorded this there. <sighs> at this location and i've always wondered as a non-musician how much of a difference does it make like the location where you record because i hear it all the time like this band talks about you know this album was so special because of this place like i know the chilies recorded blood sugar sex magic in some old house just like you guys did so how much of a difference does that make i I think i think it makes a huge huge difference i mean um i'm getting getting a little bit ahead of myself here but the album that we've just finished was recorded on venice beach in california okay in the sun you know literally you come out the studio you walk down the road and you're on venice beach so when you're recording and it was a beautiful, beautiful studio. So when you're making a record at Venice Beach, the the vibe is so much. The vibe's yeah. just so different, you know. Yeah, Los I get An- that, but but the yeah. songs are already written. So I'm wondering, like, how much does the beach influence you? Because the songs were probably written somewhere else. The songs were written in Warrington. Yeah, the songs were written in in a in a sort of industrial, quite rough council estate in Warrington, but. When you take them over to LA and you start, then you you develop the songs because you, so you'll go over there with the songs written and you'll have the pre-production done when you're over here. Ah. When you take them over to LA, you then start adding layers and layers, and the vibe changes. And if you if you're working with the right producer, which luckily we were working with the right guy, yeah, John X. Another shout out to our brother John X over in California. Yeah, the session changed. So if like, we'd have, ma- yeah, if we'd have made that album in Manchester, it wouldn't sound like it does. The song, the album, sounds like it was made in Los Angeles. It has that right crazy. I mean, one of the songs on the album is called "Heaven in LA." Hell A, oh, okay. right? And it's you know the concept is the beauty of LA, but also the darkest depths of hell of LA. Hence, hell A. And believe you me, we've experienced both of those um, parts of Los Angeles. The, we've experienced the really, really good parts and the really, really... no, Yeah, yeah there's no bad parts. But the bad parts are the good parts as well. I like the bad parts. <laughs> but Los, Los Angeles is a seductive city. Once you go there, mm. you either hate it or you love it. And we love it. You know, we keep going back. Mm. And yeah. when, when you're in America... Yeah. When people ask about Manchester, mm-hmm. what kind of like where do you describe yourself as coming from? I I'm always very open with them and saying from Warrington and they just give me like a blank look. Yeah. <laughs> so um I just say, you know, I went from Warrington and they sort of look at you and then I say Manchester and they go, Oh right, okay. But the majority of them think 
I think England is London. They just think England is yeah. London. And I'm like, nah, mate, we're from Manchester. A lot, you know, New York and Los Angeles, uh, you know, a bit more with it. They they get it a bit more like, you know, mid-America, not so much. But, yeah, the, you know, the crowds that we're playing to in Los Angeles and stuff, they they understand where Manchester is and the difference of it and, and the musical history of it, you know. They just they struggle with our accents a little bit. Do they? You know, we've got quite you know strong northwest accents, which to them they're not used to. That they're used to listening to people, you know, like Cockneys or London accents. So, and yeah. and sometimes we play on that a little bit. You know, when you're out there, you you, you can put it on, you can lay it on sick a little bit, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you 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 telling me you put it on even stronger? You don't oh, tone it down. We, we no, we you can manipulate quite easily over there if you want if you want to. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> well, they, yeah. I know that they love, in general, they think they love British accents, but only if it's the posh. Uh, yeah, yeah, accent. man. I think they like they like our accent. I think they think it's a bit street. It's a bit rough. You know, there's a really? little edge. Yeah, there's an edge to our accent which they they find quite exotic. So it it, it works wonders at times. They think it's they think it's cool. They think it's a cool alternative to london they get it you know they, mm. it's it's a it's a bit of a cult thing you know uh being into a manchester band i mean we did a show out there with the charlatans it's quite funny we pulled up at the theater the telegram theater in downtown la to support the charlatans okay. and it was a, it was a sold out show and um as we've got out of our little bus the charlatans were getting out of their bus and we together both sort of me me and the bass player for the charlatans walked together around the back of the venue to go in yeah to go into the venue to load in our gear you know and as as we've got to the back of the venue there's loads of charlatans fans it was something like something out like the beatles or something loads of charlatans fans are waiting with their records to be signed <laughs> so they've all come running across the road for the, the, the charlatans to sign the records but it's just me and the bass player so he okay. starts signing the records, but but every time he signs the record, he passes it to me with a smile on his face, and I sign it as well. <laughs> and these Americans are looking at the front of the cover, and they're going, "Hey man, is this trying to match is, you?" They're going, "Is this is this ginger guy in the in in the charlatans?" And he's going, "Yeah, man, he's in the charlatans." So there's some collectors edition records out there with my name signed <laughs> on them. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty cool rock and roll story in LA. Yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah. Um, so you've collaborated with some really interesting people in the past. Yeah. So mm -hmm. can you talk about any memorable ones? I suppose the the collaborative thing for me and Anthony became initially from being into Massive Attack. As but okay. yeah, when we got into Massive Attack, because they were a, a very collaborative band, they could they were a collective really. Yeah. They they had their core members, but they worked with different artists, and that's where our love affair came about for working with different um, artists and producers and yeah, creatives as a whole. We we, we find it exciting working with different people. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, there's there's so there's, there's there's a number of memorable ones. They're all memorable in their own way. I mean. One that stands out, I suppose, the most exotic and Im maybe impressive out the lot was Tell when me. we did when we did the video for A Room with a Zoo. 
and yes. it, it starred Tommy Flanagan from Sons of Anarchy. We filmed the video on his ranch in Malibu, California, oh. in the desert, and it was the one of the most surreal moments of my life because we'd I'd been on I'd been drinking quite hard for about three days leading up to this video shoot, but I was pre-warned by our then manager. I, I couldn't drink during, I, I couldn't have a drink during the day of the shooting. Now, if you, as you may know or not, if you've been drinking for three days, you do, you need a drink to take the edge off because you, you okay, feel like shit. I don't shit. know that, but I'll take your word for it. Okay. So if you've been drinking for three days solid, <laughs> the, you really need, not a lot to drink, just a couple of drinks just to settle yourself back down again. Anyway, I couldn't have a drink. So I was a little bit shaky oh, on the no. day and we've, arrived we drove for miles and miles into the desert and we arrive at this enormous ranch which is tommy flanagan's house where he lives with his his beautiful wife and his kids and his dogs and everything like everything else and tommy who was well who is um a good friend of our ex-manager had agreed to star in the video with us and this guy's you know this guy's been in gladiator braveheart sons of anarchy Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, this guy's a big Hollywood actor, mm. anyway. Scottish, big Hollywood actor. And we've turned up, picture the scene, there's me on the back of this fucking enormous horse in the middle of the Malibu desert being led around it by Tommy Flanagan in a white suit for hours and hours on end. No. And <laughs> yeah, it was one of the best, one of the one of the best and most surreal moments of my life. Yeah, that that's when you th you know one of those moments you think, wow, is this really <laughs> happening? And yeah, it did happen. And but yeah, much respect to Tommy for agreeing to do it, man. You know, it's amazing. Let's quickly go back to um, talking about the digital era of the music industry. Okay. Do you think? Like in, in the old days, you had to go to America in order to break America. Do you think, mm. you know, do you think that's still the case? Do you still need to physically go there? Or do you think you could, bands, musicians can break America from Europe, for example, through the internet? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can do it that way. We, cho we chose to do it the way we did it because we, we wanted to. We wanted mm. to experience it firsthand. The way the way we've done it, Tan, has been an unrealistic way of doing it. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. most totally. bands would most bands wouldn't have done what we've done. We, exactly. you know, the say you know the saying "living the dream." Yes, we weren't we we weren't living the dream. We were living our dream, and okay. yeah, and we've done we've done things that a lot of you know most bands will probably only ever dream of bands who were much bigger than us you know would have, would never have done the things that we've done because we just you know we had the, we had the balls to do it can you break america digitally maybe maybe so you know maybe having releasing a song some, and you know you get viral you get hit. it goes viral and someone in america picks up on it but What's the fun in that, man? You want to go out there and ride on the back of a big white horse with Tommy Flanagan? <laughs> that's the that, that's the rock. That's the stuff that sounds good in a book in years to come. <laughs> that's the stuff that makes history. What about other continents? Have you played much anywhere else? Yeah, we've been over to Italy. We've been over to France. We've been over to Ireland. Yeah, um, we have shows. So what but did you? 
Yeah, how so, was the experience in Europe compared to America and UK? Again, absolutely brilliant. I mean, we when we our our relationship with Italy is through a clothing brand called Pantofola Dioro, um, mm. who we became friends with. We did some um, corporate stuff for them over here, and they designed a limited edition run of Wenatchee trainers. So our oh. last our last single, Funky But Chic, which was recorded in Los Angeles, and the promo video was made in England, and we were then flown over to Italy to do some shows for the fashion brand, uh, and they made a limited run of trainers, and the video was used as a promotional tool, one for the single, but secondly to advertise the trainers. Um, which cool. was a, 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 you know, which was a perfect example of fashion and music coming together through film, and we were going over um, the beginning of 2020 to launch them at Milan Fashion Week, um, but that got yeah. pulled because of COVID. Oh. <laughs> but um, yeah, we st- we're still great friends with Kim William, another guy, Kim Williams. I've got to give a shout out to. Um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So we went out there, and it was it was to do with fashion and music. Yeah, we went out there, played awesome. played a number of Italian shows. Uh, we played French festivals over in Montpellier, and we've got we, you know we've got stuff lined up for next year. We've got shows booked for America. We've got shows booked for France. We've got stuff booked for Asia. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I, actually, our shows next year that we have booked at the moment are, are only shows abroad. We've got nothing booked in the UK at the moment, just shows abroad. So, Hope yeah. you make it to Helsinki, man. Absolutely. Yeah, man, yeah. This, Helsinki, I, I love that. Finland. Yeah, that sounds good to me, mate. Yeah, yeah. So, let me ask you, what's the secret to having this longevity? Because, like, when I met you in 2007... You were just a couple of lads starting a band and getting a band going, having fun, having a party. It's not. I mean, if if even if I were to ask you back then, you probably wouldn't have given yourself. You know, you you probably wouldn't have guessed that you'd still be doing it almost twenty yeah, years later. Yeah, or would I, you? I, I yeah, I have to correct you there. We, we would have. Yeah, we we doesn't. Ah. Me and Anthony at the time, right? Me and Ant. If me and Ant are sat around a table eating, right, Anthony mm-hmm. will pass me the salt without me asking him to pass me the salt. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. We there's there's um we have a connection, me and Ant, that's on. I, I can't really explain it, but when we set out to do this, it was all or nothing. We we threw our lives into it, and we. We love it. It's it's integrated into our blood and it's our soul. Uh, we've been through so much as together over the years that the bond that we both have is unbreakable. I mean, we've worked together in so, such intensity in close quarters for so long. You know, me and Anthony have never had an argument ever. Mm. You know, we've never we've never had an argument. We've did, we've did, we've had the odd little disagreement and stuff, but we've never had an argument. The respect we both have for each other is you know, is, is, is huge. And we both thrive and buzz off what we do. We, 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 we love what we do. 
that's the that's but, the that's the beauty of it but what i want to ask is like every young band when they start off i'm sure they feel like yeah you know we're gonna do this for real and we're gonna be st- still be doing it but what's mm. been your secret recipe what's been your why have you lasted this long do you think it is that central relationship between the I two founding it's members the, it's the it's the relationship because not everybody think, else has lasted. Th- I'm sure you've come up with a bunch of a ton of bands and artists who mm, don't exist anymore. May we have, may we have seen them come. We have I seen. Bet them you go. have. Yeah. Right, and, so what's the difference? And, oh, only the only the strong survive doing this. I mean, that really is the truth. Only the strong survive. And me and you know we've it's so surreal and unbelievable the journey that we've been on. The stuff that I'm saying to you is unbelievable you know other people just don't get to do that we wanted to do it we wanted to Mm. do it and we've always between the two of us found a way to do it because he's as mad as i am we both to do what we're doing you have to be a little bit crazy right you you, you just do you can't be doing this and be a a normal straight person me and aunt are both as mad as each other and Mm. in that mutual madness um is something that just keeps driving this forward and we're now mm. at the pro we're now probably enjoying this more than ever before we've got the best management in the world i'd like to give a huge shout out to mr howie b our manager who's brought stability and professionalism um and experience to the table you know a huge shout out to in the goldfinger who's been with us for over 10 years again who's brought a massive lot of guidance and professionalism to the table and all the people who've supported us relentlessly i mean when is like a cult you know what i mean people have really really supported and helped this band over the years but ultimately ultimately it comes down to me and anthony yep just never ever giving up if we stop this, what what else would we do? You know what I mean? This is what we are. This is what we do, man. You know? So, yeah, long live Wenatchee and long, 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 you know, may it continue. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. I think I can simplify it even further. I think it's that, what you've just said. I think it's the fact that there's two. This might yeah. be simplifying it, but I, I study business a lot. And in the business world, in the startup world, one founder no matter how passionate they won't go as far as two like there's a saying like you know one plus one makes more than two yeah you probably exactly. heard it and two heads my, are better than, like, two heads are better than one <laughs> yeah but also one plus one does not equal two one plus one equals more it can equal five or it can equal ten yeah right so mathematically one plus one is two but when it comes to partnerships one plus one equals way more than two like that's the key yeah and like my favorite some of my heroes in the world of business, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, for example, they're like the most well-known investors in the world of business. And there's two of them. And like you said, it, it, I just connected this now because they said the exact same thing what you just said, which is in, they've been together for 60 years. They're both like in their 90s. Yeah. Um, and they said the same thing that you just said, which is me and Charlie have never had an argument. And the thing is, I think that's the secret. The secret is to have that partner, that one person that you can depend on. And yeah, one plus one just equals more than two. It just gets you to places. And I think that might be it. 
it just gets you to places and that's you just hit the nail on the head you know and if two people have the same vision the same um, passion and belief and support each, each other you will get there me and Anthony have, you, you know you've met Ant you've met me we're two very different characters you know Ant's a bit more reserved than I am I'm yeah. a bit more out there and maybe lairish but that works mm. and, that, and that's what that's what makes always, it work that's what makes it work if it's two Liams you know? it might not work no, we'd probably be dead. <laughs> um, exactly. But um, no, it, it works. And I, and I trust him and he trusts me. And the thing with me and Ant is we're not, we're not in competition with each other. We're, we, we do what we do for the benefit and the goodness of the overall project. Ant's not trying to outdo me and I'm not trying to outdo him. He knows his role and I know my role and we both just stick to that and support each other and if i have any problems whether it's professional or personal he's already he's always always there for me and vice versa you know if Ant has any issues professionally or in a personal aspect he knows i'm there for him and yeah it's it's a it's a bond that just it that keeps this band together and it keeps it moving forward that's it totally awesome liam thank you so much for doing this man it was a true pleasure yeah, absolutely pleasure. I've really enjoyed really enjoyed this, Sam. It's been great speaking to you, mate. Absolutely. Cool. And and Thank hopefully so we much. can get hopefully we can get over to Helsinki and have a catch up and a beer and you, and do a show, come you know. To Helsinki and do what yeah. we do here, which is go to the sauna and jump into the lake naked. <laughs> yeah, man, I'll show how hey listen man. It doesn't take much for me to get my clothes off, so you, you, you put me in the right direction and I'll be jumping in there with me chopping out, don't you worry about that. All right, all right. I've got this on recording, so I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> okay. All right, nice one, Liam. Nice one. Cheers, Sam. Thank you for listening. Please visit metamanchester.com for more episodes. My name is Tan Lei. Join me again next time.